Hey guys, it's Sophia, Sophia Amoruso, host of Girlboss Radio, founder and CEO of Girlboss. You're listening to a brand new podcast series we're super excited to introduce, inspired by Sephora Collection's hashtag Lip Stories Lipsticks, which features 40 different shades based off of real life stories from remarkable women. Presented by Girlboss Radio in partnership with Sephora Collection, this podcast takes a deep dive into the wildest adventures and notable memories of some seriously inspiring founders, creators, and thought leaders. Stories that took place while they were out there living their real lives, circling the globe, on an epic road trip with friends, owning their Girlboss moment at work, or even just hanging out having fun with their BFFs. You're in for some seriously candid, inspiring, funny stories, and we can't wait to see what hashtag lip stories inspires in you. In this episode, Molly Hayward will be speaking about some of the themes that have meant a lot to her on her life journey. She'll be telling us a few hashtag lip stories about being a global citizen, running a successful lady business, and letting loose during a top-down life. Hi guys, Deha Gandhi here, Editor-in-Chief and Chief Operating Officer at Girlboss. I had so much fun chatting with these incredible women, and I can't wait for you to hear their lip stories. Let's get started. Hey, I'm Molly Hayward, the founder of Cora. Our mission at Cora is to transform the experience of womanhood on a global scale, starting with periods. We make healthy, innovative menstrual products and offer them in a convenient subscription. And with every monthly supply purchased by a woman here in the U.S., we provide pads and reproductive health education to a girl in need in Kenya or India. And this is my lip story. I've really tried to live my life as a global citizen, not just an entrepreneur. So in 2012, I had left the first company that I had started and was really at this crossroads in my life. And I was doing a ton of soul searching. Really fortuitously, out of the blue, a friend of mine said, I'm taking a group of volunteers to Kenya to work on a women's health initiative and a girls' education initiative. We have one seat left on the plane. Do you want to go? And my immediate reaction was, yes, absolutely. I, you know, really had no direction at that point and didn't know what what my future was going to look like. But all I knew was that I wanted to get out of my head and get back to a place of service to other people. So I went. And basically, I saw a ton of investment being made into girls' education and women's health, everything from building schools and clinics to providing school supplies and tuition to those who couldn't afford it, um, providing birthing kits and teaching women how to be midwives. And I was sitting in the village one day, and I noticed that there was a girl sitting outside of her home. And it was the middle of the day, and all the other kids were at school. And so her name is Purity. And I walked up to her, and I said, you know, why aren't you in school today? And she said, well, I have my menstrual period, and when I have my menstrual period, I just stay home because I can't afford to buy pads. and that's pretty much what me and all the other girls in the village do. And I was truly shocked. I had never thought of that experience as something that could potentially hold a girl or a woman back in her life. Because, you know, as a Western woman, I think I'd always had access to the products that I needed. And so um, the idea that something kind of so basic in my mind uh, would be 
inaccessible to someone had never really occurred to me. And my first instinct was, oh my gosh, well, when I get home, I'm just going to write a check every month, a small check uh, to make sure that Purity and maybe some of the other girls in the village have access to pads through this nonprofit organization. And then I realized that if I did that, it was just going to stop at that village and it was just going to stop with Purity and maybe some other girls. And I realized, too, that there wasn't a single woman back here in the U.S. that I could think of who wouldn't be super excited to provide a small amount of money every month to make sure that a girl in need had the period products that that would allow her to go to school, to play with her friends, to simply you know continue living her life during her period every month. And so that was really when the wheels started turning. Can you talk a little bit about sort of like what it was like when the plane touched down in Kenya? Like, what did you see? Like, what did you feel? So when the plane touched down in Kenya, I had never been to Africa before. And interestingly, when I stepped off the plane, I immediately felt this sense of being at home. In so many ways, and especially in the places where I've traveled the most, Africa is still incredibly wild. And there's a beauty in that. And there's an honesty in that. And there's kindness in it. And people still live in community and they care so much about each other and they live together and work together. And it was, I think, just one of those moments of like exhaling and just being really open. And I think because I went with no agenda and no plan and just to be of service in any way that that they told me I needed to be, whether that was like building bookshelves inside of a classroom or helping to lead a training course on how to deliver a baby. I I just was kind of along for the ride and and it it felt really liberating and really freeing. What was like really going through your head at that time? It was a huge life change. So I had been living in the UK. I came back to the US. I was staying with my parents because I literally had you know had nowhere to to live back here in the U.S. I knew that I wanted to start another company, but I didn't want to just start any company. I wanted that sort of big world-changing, you know, light bulb moment where I could really build something with a lot of meaning and a lot of heart and a lot of connection. Really, I mean, it, 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 when I say it was a time of, of soul searching, it really was you know, outside of wanting to do something that I was really passionate about, I had zero direction. You know, I think that's kind of where you let go of the wheel a little bit in your life and things start to show up. And and this issue of menstrual health and reproductive health and girls' education and is is something that I am so passionate about that I will work on for the rest of my life that, you know, I think all of the uncertainty led to something amazing, <laughs> though it certainly didn't feel like it would at the time. Do you think that the stigma that like women experience around periods is universal or was it different the way people thought about a woman's menstrual cycle during your travels? It's absolutely a universal taboo. That taboo manifests in different ways in different cultures and different societies. So here in the U.S., we saw it very publicly when, for example, Rupi Carr. Uh, the poet posted a picture of herself on Instagram with a period stain on her sweatpants. 
And Instagram blocked the post, took the post down, suspended her account. And you saw sort of this institutional bias against uh, seeing a little bit of blood versus things like nudity and, and, you know, far more offensive or profane kind of um, posts. You had Jessica Valenti, a writer and very active feminist, asked a very benign question on Twitter and said, does anybody know if there's any country in the world that provides menstrual care products to women for free? And she was absolutely torn apart mercilessly trolled for asking a completely innocent question and people started attacking her character and making rape threats and death threats at the suggestion that a country might provide to women this absolutely essential product. Um, And so you see kind of these different, these different ways in which people react to um, seeing it. It's something that they don't want to know is happening. In developing countries, a lot of the stigma and taboo ends up being much more on the individual or family level, and much of it is perpetuated by myths and sort of antiquated beliefs around what a period means. And so in India, for example, the more traditional areas or in areas where traditional values are more tightly held, a a woman on her period is not allowed to go to the temple. She's also not allowed to cook. And there are other sort of beliefs or rules where a woman isn't allowed to do something basically because the implication is that she's unpure or unclean or or in some way going to curse whatever she touches or comes in contact with and so she's she's secluded again the stigma is universal and its manifestations are are very different Hey, it's your girl Maggie, co-host on Girl Boss Radio with Sophia Maruso. We're going to take a moment here to talk about you now. We want to see you and read about your magical memories. So share them on Twitter or Instagram or whatever kind of social media you like with the hashtag lip stories. And we also want to hear about what exactly accompanies you on all your wildest adventures. Because what is a night to remember without an unforgettable red lip or green lip or metallic gold lip or you know pretty much any color you're feeling in the moment sephora collections hashtag lip stories lipstick comes in 40 gorgeous versatile shades and three different finishes and they're eight bucks each meaning you can pick one up for just about every memory you're yet to make the packaging is super super cute based off of real life stories like the one you're listening to right now to inspire you to keep on writing your incredible life story. Check them out on Sephora.com or at your nearest Sephora store. Can you talk a little bit about that partnership with Target? Like, what's the behind the scenes on making a deal like that happen? That really is the start of um, my story and Cora and kind of building what I see as the ultimate lady business. Our initial intention with Cora was to uh, make organic products accessible to the mainstream. And so we knew that with our subscription, that was really reaching a very specific audience and we wanted to go bigger and broader. And so when we started to think about who the perfect retailer might be, the first reaction was Target. We've seen them 
really lead the way in terms of valuing design and quality and partnering with young, sustainable, innovative brands in order to give them a larger platform. And so when we launched in early 2016 with our subscription model, we thought that the, that the potential to go to retail was probably at least a year and a half away. Well, six months into launching the business, we get a phone call and somebody had uh, passed our product to the buyer in our category at Target. And so she called us up and basically said, you know, I have your product sitting on my desk right now and I think it's amazing and I think this is exactly where this space needs to go and that women are so ready for this that I want to put you, you know, into 200 of our stores right away. And now in 2018, we are uh, full chain at Target and are available nationwide. Can you talk a little bit about the giving piece? Like, how does that work? Like when somebody buys Cora tampons, what happens? Like how much is given to girls in Kenya or elsewhere? And like, what are the countries you're touching? Because Cora was really founded as a result of seeing the need for menstrual products in developing countries, that is such a significant and core part of what we do. And so we really, I think, have treated it as a core component rather than an afterthought. And there's a few ways that we do that. So the way it works is that for every monthly supply that we ship to a woman here in the U.S., we are funding an equivalent supply of sustainable plant-based pads to a girl in India. So our partner in India actually runs social enterprises that teach women how to produce these pads in small social enterprises and we purchase the products that they make. So we're essentially generating revenue for these small local businesses in India that are owned and operated by women. And then our partner helps us to distribute them to today five different local schools in India. And so we take account of how many female students they are, there are at a school in the sort of age range that requires these products. And we make sure that they always have a constant supply at the school that any girl can access at any point in time. And so a monthly supply is 10 pads. Through Target and Amazon, for every purchase made, we take 10% of those profits and use them to purchase pads for girls in Kenya through our partnership with an organization called Zana Africa. I think the important piece to mention there, too, is that we don't just provide the products to the girls. We fund reproductive health education because we know that just providing products or just providing education, they don't work without the other. And and the educational piece is really what allows a girl to have the understanding of what her period is, how her body works, that she doesn't have to be ashamed of this experience, um, and that it's completely natural. In terms of like the seed funding, basically like a friend of a friend wrote like a fairly small check, and that was how you launched the business. Is that right? Yes. So prior to an official fundraise, I had already... Um, put a bit of my own money into it, but um, in order to keep going, kind of needed more significant funding. And so, yeah, I was introduced to a friend of a friend who didn't know that I needed funding, and I frankly didn't know that she had the capacity to fund companies. But we sat down for tea. Like, she invited me to to, to tea, and we sat down to talk. And 
in the course of sharing the story, again, I think, you know, just relaying my passion for these issues and for the solution that we could provide, she literally pulled out her checkbook in our first meeting and, you know, made it possible for me to actually start purchasing products and building the business infrastructure in a way that could be more scalable. And she remains one of one of my closest friends today. So what do you do for like fun weaving in moments of like joy and fun and like self-care and relaxation into like what is likely a very demanding work schedule? So when I think about my top down life, the top is really the times when I can gather with friends, travel, um, focus on myself, give myself the gift of a day off or a day on the trails or at the beach and really provide myself the opportunity to get away from work, to stop thinking about doing and really try to just be. How interesting was Molly? She's made such an impact and has such great stories. Be sure to remember to subscribe so you can listen to all the amazing hashtag lip stories we're bringing your way along with Sephora Collection. And don't forget to share your own stories on social media with hashtag lip stories. We want to see how you're out there making your own moves to remember. Thank you guys so much for listening.